Good morning, afternoon or evening everybody and welcome to Pangolin, the conservation podcast. The show dedicated to exploring and amplifying the world's underappreciated conservation stories. The stories that inspire me and I hope will inspire you too. <laughs> I'm your host Jack Baker and today we are doing things just a little bit differently to normal. I uh, hope you don't mind. Some of you may remember that about two years ago, we released an episode all about the wonderful, the charismatic, the brilliant, the fantastic, the incredibly tall world of giraffes. And well, since this series is a celebration of all things Africa, it felt wrong not to include it here. I loved that episode, I loved the conversation I had, and so I thought, well, let's let's just bring it back. Let's celebrate the giraffe all over again. And because it's my show and I decide the rules, that's exactly what we are going to be doing today. And I'm so, so happy. <laughs> so today, uh, as if it was the first time, I am joined by the incredible Julian and Stephanie Fennessy from the Giraffe Conservation Foundation to discuss all things giraffe. We talk about all of their incredible work all across the continent of Africa, the wonderful education programs they're running and the practical field kind of conservation actions and initiatives that they operate. And it's just a brilliant, brilliant chat. Um, and I re-listened to it before I republish it here now. And like, it threw me back to, to when it was first recorded. And I remember loving chatting with them then and I loved it even more listening back to it now. And so I really hope you enjoy. Um, I should also, of course, say that since the episode aired, they had like, spoiler alert, we talk about the fact they wanted to come to Scotland. They did come to Scotland. Um, I got to chat to them. I got to see them present at Edinburgh Zoo and it was just wonderful. And it was like a weird full circle moment for me where you're kind of like, it's so wonderful that the podcast is like, they knew who I was and <laughs> they shouted me out during the presentation and it was just so beautiful and wonderful and I can't say enough nice things about them. They're just fantastic people. Um, I should also say that aside from meeting me, their diary and <laughs> calendar has included a lot of hard work um, and a lot of really, really impressive conservation action. Like, the Giraffe Conservation Foundation now works in around 18 countries on kind of anti-poaching campaigns and translocations and surveying and education, as I said before, and like all sorts of other amazing stuff. So they've just gone from strength to strength to strength to strength to strength since they were on the show the last time. And yeah, I'm so excited for you to hear all about their amazing, 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 amazing work. And so I'll not prevent that any longer. Um, in fact, maybe I will. I'll tell you a really terrible joke uh, to get us started. You're gonna hate it, but I love it. How do you remember what is on the top of a giraffe's head? Well, they're awesome cones. And that's how you remember they're called ossicones. Hey! <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I've ruined it. I've ruined the vibe. Without further ado, let's just get started before I say anything else stupid.
Welcome back to the show. I am now joined by Julian and Stephanie Fennessy, who are the directors of the Giraffe Conservation Foundation. Uh, they're here to talk about their organisation as well as the amazing species that it protects. So thank you very much for, for joining me today, guys. Thank you. Um, Thanks, Jeff. It's great to, to be on, on line with you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, and I wondered if we can go kind of one at a time, if you could kind of introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about your background. So I don't know, um, Julian, do you want to start? And then, yeah. No worries. Thanks, Jack. Um, yeah, my name is Dr. Julian Fennessy. I'm a director at the Giraffe Conservation Foundation. Uh, I've been lucky enough to work with giraffe for the last 20 odd years on and off and been involved in a lot of uh, habitat and land management, both in Australia hence my accent, uh, as well as uh, across Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, and Steph? Yeah, so I'm Steph Fennessy. I'm Julian's wife and co-director of the Giraffe Conservation Foundation. Um, I kind of married into giraffe conservation. I'm an environmental engineer by trade, but uh, we both met here in Namibia working on a, on a catchment study of a river in the far northwest of the country where Julian started his research on giraffe and um, it was part of our work and yeah I got involved from the first day basically and helped setting up the research for his PhD and uh, did some other work at the same time um, so I'm a project manager and have worked in a wide variety of, of conservation and environmental projects but for the last um, yeah, five six years have been doing giraffe full-time Interesting. That's really interesting. And it's good to hear your background because I, I watched the, the documentary you sent me and I'll put a link to it for the, the listeners as well to watch um, the Faces of Africa, the giraffe, uh, a silent extinction kind of um, documentary. And we got a little bit of Julian's background in that, but I didn't know a lot about what you had done previously. So it's interesting to kind of hear that as well. And while I'm mentioning the documentary, that's kind of a lot of the uh, things that I am going to ask you about are in there as well. And we're going to expand a lot on that. But I wanted to ask kind of a lot of people, I think, would assume what well, when watching it, what jumped out of me, I think, is a lot of people assume that giraffes are very popular, so they must be very well protected. And when you kind of learn more and more and more, there seems to be a lot of things going on that make it um, very difficult to kind of, yeah, it doesn't, that's not actually the case. And I was wondering just before we kind of get into everything, if you could kind of help the listeners understand maybe what is the kind of general picture of giraffe conservation like now? Are they they're not perhaps as safe as people might imagine? I don't know who was uh, Julian. Do you want to take that one? Oh, <laughs> he fills in the blanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, giraffe are obviously in in countries like South Africa, Kenya, Tanzania, where a lot of people come on safari. Um, they're pretty much everywhere. Um, you see them a lot. Um, they're quite easy to spot. They're charismatic. People love seeing them. So people just assume they're everywhere. And when we started getting involved in giraffe conservation, um, we just started compiling information and trying to find out how many giraffe there were. And we realized that the numbers were actually far lower than anyone thought. Um, we now we just released a, a new estimate. We now think there is about 117,000 giraffe remaining in Africa. Um, there's at least 400, 450,000 elephant. And elephant are in trouble. We all know that, and and we have to protect them. But that means there is three to four elephant for every one giraffe. So giraffe also need help, and uh, they are far less than we thought they are. And what makes matters worse is that uh, our research has clearly shown that there is four distinct species of giraffe. 
Um, they're very different and should be classified as different species. And some of them are doing quite well, like here in, in southern Africa. But uh, the other three species are in serious trouble, and some of them um, should be considered critically endangered. That's really, really interesting. It's not perhaps the, I think I hadn't heard the fact about, about well, I never made the connection, I guess, between elephants and giraffe and how, if you look at the, I think, because every, the poster child for a lot of the big kind of WWF and everything will always be, they'll always use a picture of an elephant. And so you'd expect the situation perhaps to be much worse for them. Um, and obviously comparing apples and oranges, that would be very, very different. But it's interesting to hear that kind of comparison. I don't know, is there anything, Julian, you wanted to add? Or I think that's, yeah. It's quite fascinating. You know, you, you make that analogy with elephant and the very large, what we call bingos, big international NGOs, um, you know, who use elephant, rhino as the poster child. And, you know, there's no doubt, you know, they're very charismatic. But, you know, giraffe are the tallest animal in the world. Um, however, they have been a silent extinction. Many of these NGOs have never looked at them because the assumption is that they are everywhere. And if you split those four species, as Steph said, you know, we've got the northern giraffe. You know, there's an estimated, well, maybe six, six and a half thousand northern giraffe left in the wild. So that's more endangered um, as a terminology. I mean, it should be, it's critically endangered um, than, you know, mountain gorillas, black rhino, all of these animals out there that the world knows so much about. Um, unfortunately, yeah, giraffe have gone under the radar, um, plummeted because of various reasons from habitat loss, degradation, human population growth connected to poaching or civil war and unrest. Um, you know, I'm, it just seems that, uh, you know, giraffe slowly is getting a little bit more attention. And, you know, we hope that the work we and others do can help get more attention and uh, by naming them as four species, hopefully in the future, um, they'll get much more attention, funding and support to be able to save them before it's too late. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think that's, it's one of those things that I think a lot of species, they kind of, it gets to this point and that's when people start panicking and going, oh no, that now they get it. So while you don't want to let them get that close to the edge, it is good that I guess now people are starting to turn and realize just how, okay, now we really need to start supporting these these animals as well. Um, and you kind of mentioned there some of the threats that they are um, facing out in the wild. And I did have, that's a good segue. Uh, you did my work for me there because I was going to ask you about some of those threats. Um, and yes, because I kind of picked up on looking at your website and through all the materials and things, things like habitat loss and human expansion, poaching, and then also the kind of dealing with environments where there are um, political issues as well and civil kind of issues going on as kind of in that area. So if we start with the kind of habitat loss, human expansion element, um, I wanted to ask in the documentary, you um, mentioned that there was no direct resource competition except for really space. And it focused a lot on translocating the giraffes and kind of moving them to other places. I wondered if, if you could tell the listeners a little bit about that. What is kind of translocation of these animals and how does that, that work? Yeah, because of, of habitat loss and people encroaching or civil unrest in areas, giraffe have gone extinct in, in certain areas. Um, but things have changed, political systems have changed, and some of these areas are now protected again. So it would be safe for animals to return, but because large-scale movements are restricted in many African countries and many countries giraffe and other wildlife only occur in national parks and they obviously can't freely move in between them so they can't really expand their range by themselves so this is where 
we and the governments come in and, and help them to expand their range. If they're another national park that might be disconnected but is politically safe again um, and the, the habitat is suitable for giraffe, we can help to bring giraffe back into that area by physically moving them, which uh, sounds very easy. But as you can imagine, because of their uh, physiology, a giraffe can't be picked up so easily and just transported. So uh, it's quite an involved process. Um, it uh, makes for good pictures. So obviously it's very popular for documentaries and photos, um, but it's a, it's a massive um, operation that requires long, long planning. Um, it's dangerous for people and for animals um, and costs a lot of money. But um, it's also, it's a very valuable tool really to increase the range of giraffe and bring them back into areas where they have gone locally extinct. And I think just to add to that, Jack, I mean, as uh, conservation in Africa, if not the world, the biggest thing moving forward is habitat. If we can save as much habitat as possible, the suite of animals that live in and amongst it will have a better hope. So whether that's a lion, an elephant, giraffe, whatever. And critically for, for what we do is that, you know, translocations is one of the tools that we're helping governments um, and other NGOs or communities to be able to bring back giraffe into areas. Um, at the moment, I think we work in more than 100 million acres of land across Africa. Uh, that's good giraffe habitats, trying to help um, bring them back to some areas. Um, but the bottom line is translocation. Yeah, it, it's quite sexy looking for a lot of people. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a great way to do it. But it's something that you can't do every day because the amount of money involved in conservation is not endless, unfortunately, at the moment. But uh, definitely very successful in the ones that we have done so far in Uganda, Malawi, Niger, Namibia, and so on. So it's all working well. And maybe just to add to that still is um, that giraffe are just a really good flagship species then as well. Once uh, they're quite charismatic, everyone loves giraffe. They're not really controversial normally. Um, but so most people, local people don't mind having giraffe in their area. So once the giraffe are there and they are protected, that really helps to, to protect the land, which then can be repopulated with other animals as well. So it's a bit of a knock-on effect. That's really, yeah, and because earlier this year I was speaking to people who were kind of reintroducing species in the UK, things like bison, to kind of test this theory, and it's amazing the the way that the kind of just one species, if it's big enough and has certain elements, if it's charismatic enough in a way to attract the protections, or if it's ecologically valuable in a way to that it has these kind of other effects that it one one thing can make, have so many knock-on effects make such a huge difference beyond simply just adding an iconic animal back into a landscape it's more a lot more than that um it's really really interesting and i wondered you were kind of talking you touched on how it was a bit sometimes difficult to and uh, to kind of do these translocations and find the kind of funding or the kind of moving the the animals around what is the the alternative there when there is the kind of spaces that need felt is there any other kind of methods that you use or what what how, how do you deal with it when that's not a possibility so where giraffe currently exists, you know, it's most important to be able to conserve and, and save the populations there. That's, you know, 101. So we work with governments to whether it's anti-poaching or de-snaring work, if there's um, issues like in Murchison Falls National Park, we have a full-time veterinarian team working with the government there on the ground. So that's critical to better 
monitor them through surveys, and then we can see if there's fluctuations or changes in population. So that's uh, one of the first things we do. And then obviously assessing if those threats in any area have changed and if they're becoming too threatened. And as we say, if we've got all our eggs in one basket, then we need to find alternative areas to be able to bring these giraffe to. Um, some of these giraffe populations, as we said, are, are very threatened. You know, there's just over 600 left in Niger and they were up from 49 individuals in the wild. So this is a very low population. We've done a lot of work behind the scenes around it um, and found a place that government um, and community are happy to bring giraffe. But it's not something that you just do overnight. This took many years of planning, discussions, developing a national strategy, implementing it where the giraffe currently exists, and then ongoing monitoring that's happening in the field now. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, that's really interesting. I guess the, the difficult thing about giraffe is it is a big animal, so it can give you one heck of a kick, or it can if it can give you what there's a whole number of things that you're gonna have to take into account when moving these things that make it probably a very difficult and expensive process to, to do. So yeah. Um yes, I can imagine not the, the easiest thing in the world. Um I wanted to oh, I mean, we can well, add to that, Jack, you know, that uh, we've all had a little bit of niggles. Um, and problems, you know, whether it's been a broken arm here or broken ribs or things like that, you know, they all add up. And, you know, the most important thing is we want to keep both the animal and people safe. But, um, you know, they never, they say you should never work with animals and children. And, uh, you know, our kids love to come with us. So, you know, we've ticked both of those boxes. <laughs> Yes, having worked in, and I always wonder that I don't have kids, but I chose to, I went and worked in a zoo and all these things and chose to work in a place where there are animals and they are children. And it's kind of, they're not my, I, I have to keep them safe because I am responsible in a way, but I can't imagine if they were mine, the stress level would be about 10 times more. So that's, yeah, bold, bold choice. Uh, <laughs> um, do you think, side note, do you think they, having done it and come with you and do it, is that like what they want to do? Are they going to be the next generation of giraffe conservation conservationists, do you think? Uh, we rather want them to have a real job and earn some money, so we encourage them to do something else. <laughs> no, uh, they're actually both very different, and our daughter is, is really, she loves animals, and she, I think she's quite keen, but recently we went to a bank into, like, the higher... Um, levels into a bank and she came home that night and said now nah, she wants to work in the bank now she was very impressed with the office space <laughs> and uh, I think our son at the moment would love to become a professional gamer but uh, yeah let's see they're still there 12 and 15 so there's still a bit of time and hope <laughs> That's my sister. She is very, she's vegan. She's very ethically aware. She does all these things. But at the end of the day, she's studying business at university because I think she's the same. She's, she likes and she will do her bit. But also the, the money side is probably quite important as well. So I see that. I do see the appeal. I do see the appeal. I'll probably be the one who ends up kind of mooching off of her. That's the thing. Is that... <laughs> so at least we have one of them is the sensible one. But I mean, they have it's amazing. They have been to some amazing places and, and working um, with some amazing people, um, working with a whole group of rangers from Uganda and being involved. That is just an amazing experience for them. And we really hope that um, they can value it at some stage. Sometimes now they just say, oh, can't we do like something proper and do a proper holiday? But um, yeah, I guess you always wish for what you don't have. I was going to say, the proper holiday. I would kill for a holiday <laughs> like that. I can't say. <laughs> um, another half translocation, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
but yes, uh, but yes, I, I, that's uh, yes. Well, I'm, maybe maybe you'll convince them in the well. Actually, no, you want them to do them. They can then fund you doing more of the like translocation. They that's the the way to do it. Um, well, yeah. If there's any very rich, wealthy, you know, young ladies or boys out there that are looking for partners. <laughs> <laughs> So your sister helped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but back on track. Before we get too sidetracked, back up giraffe, giraffe, giraffe. Back on track. <laughs> um, so yes, that's the kind of translocation aspect. Is kind of moving them from one place to another. And then another thing that we kind of, uh, I kind of wanted to ask about, especially because season one, I talked a lot about pangolin, and obviously they are most trafficked mammal in the world. Huge international trade in pangolin, and that doesn't. That's not an issue really for giraffe but there is still poaching that goes on for kind of bushmeat and things like that and I wanted to ask how do you start to it was kind of mentioned um I've seen kind of mentioned on the website in the documentary kind of the bushmeat trade and this kind of issue um but I wanted to kind of ask how do you tackle that when you're working across such a large space and it will be used in so many different ways in so many different places how do you even begin to tackle an issue like that such as like bushmeat I mean, luckily, it's it's not a huge issue, and um, unlike the pangolin, there's just no commercial trade and big scale trade. Um, you can imagine a giraffe is quite easy to hunt, and there's a lot of meat on it. So um, there is reports from areas where there is um, big, almost military operations out there trying poaching elephant for their tusks. They will shoot a giraffe because they prefer the taste of giraffe meat because it's easy and it feeds an army or a village. village. Um, But because it is mainly locally, um, it doesn't appear to be a huge threat in most places. Um, I mean, what's interesting is that giraffe were added to CITES Appendix 2 in 2019. And mostly because the precautionary principle that numbers are going down and you know a threat of hunting. However, the word hunting was loosely used to include both trophy hunting, which happens only in Southern Africa, and legally, um, that's a big moral ethical issue. I don't think we want to get into. That's another world. Um, and versus uh, bushmeat or illegal trade, where that is happening in country where the numbers are plummeting. And while CITES is a great tool and will hopefully help us get a better handle on you know, the legal trade of giraffe side internationally, it actually does nothing to understand what's happening with the bushmeat market and local trafficking that's happening in countries. So unfortunately, it's, while it seems to be a win for many people, we just published a paper recently actually with colleagues from Oxford um, and San Diego Zoo Global, which showed that Unfortunately, that um, you know the legal trade is not having really an impact on the demise of giraffe, but this bushmeat trade is. So, as a result of that, we actually work closely with organisations like the Kenya Wildlife Service. We've been doing bushmeat um, assessments of butcheries throughout the whole of Uganda, uh, oh Kenya, sorry, um, to figure out uh, you know what flavour meats are in these markets. So there's genetic sampling being happening. And hopefully, you know, in the not too distant future, we can figure out where these hotspots are and then work with the government and other partners to basically implement activities on the ground. So that's how we try to uh, look at a big scale and then go down on the local level to assist. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting, actually, because it's, it's one of those things that when you think it is a continent wide, a lot of 
people I've spoken to last week, I spoke to somebody about dolphins within the kind of Mediterranean. He was looking at a very specific group within a very specific thing. But when you're ta- when your foundation is tackling the whole continent across many, many countries, many, many governments, many, many people involved, that it must become kind of head scratching at points to try and work these things out. Um, so interesting to hear how it goes from this kind of larger scale all the way down to to individual. Hopefully I will, if if anything uh, comes up and when things do come up, I'll make sure and post links and things to it for listeners who are interested to keep them informed on what the kind of studies and things find, because that is really interesting. But yes, I, yeah, I think the, the next thing to kind of ask about then, I guess, similarly, there is the across uh, talking of the kind of issues that go across the, the continent. There is the kind of political issues which we've kind of touched on previously and the political kind of unrest or if there's civil issues or things that are going on and how do you work in areas like that when you're it's obviously not dangerous just for the animals but for you how do you kind of deal with that kind of logistical nightmare I would imagine yeah luckily during COVID times (laughs) we couldn't travel so (laughs) that uh yeah no it's it's um sometimes you really have to to weigh up if it's worthwhile and obviously um human lives in the end count more than animal lives um we have some staff in in Niger um but there has been some yeah very um the situation political situation there has changed a lot um, their movements are limited. Some tourists have been killed there a few years ago and also some local rangers who we used to work with. Um, yeah, then you really reassess your program in those countries and we had to reduce our uh, planned activities in Niger significantly um, because in the end you just really have to weigh up. Um, but we work a lot with local partners um, so we just don't go blind into an area and try to do something. We always work with the government and local NGOs um, who know the situation very well um, and often have staff on the ground who know how to navigate different systems, and that really helps us. But um, You normally like to say, which I'm surprised you haven't said, is that if, you, know, you ask a listener or anyone in an audience, have you ever worked with the government? You know, whether it's local or a national government in your country, whether it's, you know, in in the UK somewhere or Australia or Germany. And, you know, we know that uh, bureaucracy exists. Now, try and work in 16 African countries and they're all very different. They've all got very different backgrounds. Funnily enough, to the world, Africa is not a country. It's actually a continent. Um, so all of these things, you know, make it a real challenge. And that's why we have staff based in many countries across the continent. Um, and we've forged really strong relationships with governments because if we're going to save giraffe in the wild, it has to be at the, you know, the want and the desire and the belief of the government. And so they're the ones who make the difference. We could save a little population somewhere, I'm sure, if we own private land. And that's great. And we're we're happy people do that, but if we want to make a big difference for giraffe across the continent, working with government's critical. And, you know, I don't have too much hair left. And uh, I think a lot of that has been stress over the years of working with governments. Um, but the success that you get out of it is worth a hell of a lot more uh, in the end when uh, things go well. Mm-hmm. That, yes. That that yeah, I, I I think everybody can relate to even if it's just trying to get your bins emptied or try to fill a format. The complications that come along with that, never mind an entire it's not like I have to sitting in Scotland, I don't have to phone across to Sweden or somewhere across in Europe because that's the scale which like it's the same size. So I guess people don't quite quantify the 
the size and the fact that yes Africa is a continent that I still don't understand that because if you look at a map I, I, that's another that's another issue like the, the things we've touched another issue that's a whole podcast on itself just to kind of <laughs> come on guys <laughs> um, but yes what is probably important to just add to that is that there is just no blueprint for giraffe conservation. The, the problems of giraffe are so different in different countries, different populations, the threats they are facing. There are some that are similar, um, but overall the threats are really different. And so it's very important to understand what is going on in each country and each population. And another thing we, we always say, and what Julian just also um, touched on, um, in the end, giraffe have to be saved in Africa by African people. Um, we can come and we can work with them and we can encourage and we can advise, um, we can raise funding and we can help. But in the end, the drive has to come from the local people and from the governments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I guess what what made you want to start, it's got me thinking kind of, did you start kind of in one place and then decide, realize actually this is a much wider issue that we want to try and make this across and or how did that how did you get to this scale of of trying to work with things i mean gcf started with i mean initially it was julian's phd and then he realized there was really no one else doing anything so did a couple of consultancies and then we just slowly over the years started understanding the scale of the problem and then we started really small in our spare time for many years i mean for many years we both had full-time other jobs um, and did it in the evenings on the couch, just sitting there and trying to organize some trips and DNA sampling and collecting numbers. Um, and it was only in 2014-15 that we started working part-time um, on giraffe and now full-time. And now we are 17, 18 staff, so 20, staff, yeah. 20 maybe. Oh. So we are slowly growing and <laughs> that wasn't really the plan in the beginning. So uh, yeah, it, it really has evolved. And just just now over the last few weeks, we have been in discussions with the Mozambique government who are really keen to, um, to bring giraffe back um, into certain parks. And suddenly we have a massive program in Mozambique, which we haven't really even thought about six weeks ago. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> but I started GCF proper as a formal organization. We re had realized by then that we had to do continent-wide um, and obviously work with po partners at the local scale. But if we really wanted to save giraffe, it was definitely the broader issues had to be tackled and worked with. Um, and I, that's the real challenge. And I think, you know, some days we we hope we're, we're making some headway, but other days it feels like it would have been easier just to sort of live in a nice little private reserve and study giraffe and, you know, look at some empirical data and save the world that way. But as we know, that's uh, that's not really going to do much at the end of the day. Yes, but I guess it's, it's interesting to hear because I think even before speaking to you and before doing the research, for me, when I was looking at things, it was kind of your organization would always be the top when you look for giraffe it would always be the top thing that came up or the top that so it's interesting to hear that you didn't necessarily intend, intend inception for it to be that way but you've gone on to become probably synonymous for better or worse for you sometimes for better <laughs> synonymous with giraffe conservation but uh yes because it was even I, the day we organized this it was kind of we were going backwards and forwards and i think i saw edinburgh zoo pop up they just got giraffes back and then it was oh in association and just quotes from you and that's 
oh, okay, they're they're everywhere. It's not just I haven't. <laughs> I thought I tapped onto something here in Scotland. I'll be the first. Oh no, you're here already. But it's good. <laughs> As it says, the relationship is fantastic, and we we're doing a couple of different projects with them at Edinburgh Zoo. But uh, I think equally as good, actually even better for me, is uh, the partnership with Glenmorangie. Um, I do like a wee dram, and uh, so a couple of years ago, I was lucky to come up and and give a talk at the zoo, but meet the guys from Glenmorangie, spend some time up at Tain as well, and. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, COVID has restricted me going back up. But as soon as those flights go up, um, I'm sure there needs to be a meeting had in uh, Scotland to uh, plan for the next program. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I was meant to go down to Namibia. You were meant to come up here. So as soon as those flights are booked, we'll probably be the passing each other on a plane going in opposite <laughs> directions. Um, um, but yes, I guess something I, I wanted to ask about, we kind of have touched on the the kind of interactions with, I guess, governments and different partners across the world. And I was going to ask about working with interactions, working, I want to ask a bit more about these interactions with other people and whether you think that um, kind of the giraffe being so famous and being so loved has affected, do you think when you are interacting with governments, it's been, a, do they assume, oh, well, the giraffe is so popular, it must be, or are, are you bringing them new information a lot of the time? Or is it, do they think, what's the situation there when you first go to them? It, it's interesting. You would assume that, you know, lots is known about giraffes. So, you know, one has to be cautious when you go into any of these meetings and discussions that uh, you're not uh, talking at people, but you're discussing with them. So, but unfortunately, there is very little known by many of the African governments about their giraffe population. I think Uganda and our partnership with Uganda Wildlife Authority is a, a great example. When we first started there in 2013, we had estimated, or they had estimated, um, essentially, I don't know, it was like 700. 700 giraffe, yeah. And so we then set up a, a very strategic survey protocol, working with partners from Dartmouth College in the USA. And in the space of a couple of years, we had doubled the population, not by anything other than actually physically counting them. Um, every individual giraffe had been photographed through the surveys, run it through AI software. So we had very strong counts uh, and that led to a whole host of programs, including the source population of Murchison Falls, which has now over the last five years helped set up or augment another five populations of uh, giraffe, Nubian giraffe, which are critically endangered in Uganda. And that's more than 3 million acres of land we've been able to help the government bring giraffe back to. So, yeah, when you go and talk to them, you obviously, you know, you want a long-term partnership and friendship and relationship. So, yeah, I know all this information is very much new, especially for rangers. Um, and anytime we have the opportunity to share data, whether it's online free or traveling through zoos or going to governments, we always bring, whether it's posters, booklets, etc., and many reports to keep them updated on what's going on so it's a it's a constant uh, you know process and you know we're learning every day and hopefully the more and more we can share the more information awareness the more that can be done mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's really yeah it's interesting to hear that they kind of had such a not a, a bad picture but like a, an inaccurate picture of what the situation was and um, but i guess if there's no one there doing it 
then how how would they even begin to imagine? Because unless you're unless you are seeing them on a daily basis, it's not something that you would be aware of. And I think actually that's something that stood out in the documentary to me. I think a lot of people would assume in Africa where these animals are from, people would be really aware of the situation on all levels, maybe on government across all the countries and communities and things. But it's it's not necessarily the case. And the story that jumped out was when you went to, was it your kid's school and you asked them and only about half of them had seen a giraffe in real life. I guess that's a, a, a shocking picture for people uh, or a shocking image for me because I would have just assumed perhaps everybody would be more aware. Have you found on the community level getting support that has been easier or more difficult because there is this lack of awareness? I don't know. What, what's the situation on the community level with you now? I mean, it, again, it differs a lot. I mean, the good thing about giraffes is that they're not very controversial. They're not threatening normally. It's not like lion or an elephant who actually are life-threatening to a lot of people. Um, most communities are quite happy to share their living space with giraffe, and they're quite happy to see them. But you also have to understand that Obviously, a lot of people in Africa have never seen any wildlife because either they live in a city or in, in many African countries, wildlife is really just limited to national parks, which then a lot of people will just never, never visit. So for us, when we had this this moment at, at our kids' school, it was really um, our kids go to a to a private school in, in Windhoek. Um, there is giraffe living just 10, 15 kilometers from the school, actually outside the capital. Um, Windhoek is quite small. Um, and we were really shocked because we just, I mean, we spent a lot of time on the weekends going out and, and, and because we love nature, but we just realized a lot of people don't, even if they could. Um, and then we thought further and thought, what about the parents or the kids whose parents can't, they will have never seen anything. So this is when we started an environmental education program here in Windhoek, which is now, um, yeah, we don't really do things in half measure, it turns out. <laughs> it's a, it became the largest environmental education program by numbers um, in Namibia. So in, in a non-COVID year, we take, our team takes about two and a half thousand kids out um, to a national park um, for a school day in the field and just shows them animals if they see them, but it's a national park, so they don't always see animals, but they see tracks and they talk about nature and their environment. And the real aim we have is not to only show them giraffe, but to show them how beautiful their country is and that it's really important to protect it. Water is obviously a big issue in a dry country like here, um, waste, um, and we talk about all these topics and how, how everything is inter interlinked, um, pyramid of life, and, and just really try to, to bring things that kids, topics that kids normally learn in the school environment, but to link it back to nature and show them. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it's really successful and positive. Most kids just love it because a lot of them have never been really out of town, have never seen wildlife before. And um, we just try to to instill this passion and that there is something more than just living in town. Yeah, I guess. And it's about yeah forming this connection with things that even though they're right there, people don't necessarily see. I think it's, I similarly spoke to someone from the Marine Conservation Society a few weeks ago and they were talking about how just go down to the beach and see what's there. And the number of people who live in Scotland who maybe go and have a walk. And just have a look, look at the seaside. But if actually stop and look and appreciate the nature that's there and around you, it, it has a huge impact. And I think it also helps them 
not just want to protect the wildlife, but it makes them feel, I think, it can really boost somebody and make them feel inspired in other ways as well. So okay. it's really good to hear about, I guess. Um, yeah, is that um, is it something that you just run in Namibia or is that kind of something you want to expand further or how's the, how is that based now? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we work with local communities in, in most countries to some extent, because as we said before, giraffe can only be saved by the people. Um, so we, but it's on different levels. So, so we have our environmental education program dedicated here, but in Uganda, for example, we work with a, another program called Snares to Wears, who do a lot of community outreach and work with communities who live adjacent to uh, Murchison Falls National Park. So there we interact through them, but they also go to schools and interact with kids. Um, we had developed a, a workbook for our environmental education program here that we now made a bit more general, that it can be used anywhere in Africa. Um, in Kenya, we work with local community groups. There's um, local rangers that are employed to monitor the giraffe in northern Kenya. They do a lot of work with schools in the area where they are located. So, yeah, it's always part of our work, but we are not intending to roll out like a massive environmental education program continent-wide. That's not our uh, expertise and not our passion in the end. It's, it's an important part of what we do, but our focus otherwise is more on giraffe conservation. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, the good thing is, though, I think when I went onto your website, there are so many resources there that if people are interested, and I'll put links to them on in the description of the episode, because there were booklets and booklets of things that I was kind of reading through and having a look through. And there's so much there that it's if you're looking for some reading, there is a, things you can get really deep into. If you're looking for some lighter kind of fun fact type things, yeah. it was quite good. I was in um, visiting friends in London this weekend. We're allowed to travel again here within safe means and we went to London Zoo um, because I can't go anywhere without dragging my friends to an animal attraction obviously and so I was able to stand there in preparation for this interview and say oh would you like to know some things about giraffes that I learned it was it was yes I love it it was I think they always I can't tell whether they love going with me or hate going with me because the fun <laughs> facts I think at the start of the day are fun facts but by the end of the day when we're looking at things that they're like giraffe like we, we can't we can't keep going back we've seen the giraffes for an hour already this morning we can't go but we have other things to see it becomes a bit stretching uh, <laughs> but um I won't apologize for it um so yes um but yeah so Yes, we've talked about kind of the challenging things and the education things and what inspiring other people. But I wondered, I wanted to kind of to to bring us back on track instead of me trying not apologizing to my friends. Uh, <laughs> what are what inspired you? There must be fantastically re personally rewarding moments as well. Um, and I wanted to ask what the the best thing for you about doing this is on kind of a personal level. What is your favorite part about this? I mean, we've been very lucky over the years to support many um, African and international students. And I think to see people grow, build capacity, um, I think that's amazing to see. You know, we've just had the other day that our East African coordinator, now Dr. Arthur Meneza, um, and the support we've had from donors and others to help him um, be able to do his work, which is essentially helping the Kenyan government implement and better understand giraffe conservation and its strategy in the country. So everything that we do around capacity building is linked to the programs on the ground. Um, you know, we don't study how many ticks there are on the ear 
of a Nubian giraffe uh, during May. Um, it all has to have a very conservation focus. And I think the students that come through, you know, some of them are still with GCF where we're very lucky. Um, others have uh, moved on. And I think that's what it's about. It's building this new cadre of conservationists around the world. And hopefully the links that come with it will not just help giraffe, but save many animals habitat across the globe. Would you say the same, Steph, or is it other things for you? You can't say the same because I said that. So. <laughs> Normally I say this, so I have to come up with something else now. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it is a lot about people. We, we have been really lucky to meet some amazing people, and, and that is really rewarding. But on a, another level, you mentioned Zeus before, and, and you obviously love Zeus, and you you go there and you get quite close to giraffe, which we normally don't. For us, giraffe are four species, populations. We we see giraffe a lot in the wild, but we see them at a distance. Um, so for us, actually going to zoos is fantastic or during a translocation when you um, have the opportunity to get really close to a giraffe. That is really something I, I still find absolutely amazing when you put your hand in front of the nostrils of a giraffe and you feel it breathe. Um, that is just really so unreal. And uh, I still I can't can't say enough how, how amazing that is because they're such amazing animals. And I still, after all these years, every time I see a giraffe in the wild, it puts a smile on my face. Um, they're just amazing animals and seeing them run free into a new environment after a translocation is, when you know this is years of hard work and um, stress and I mean, you're always quite tense and you hope everything goes well. And then when they start running out free, it's, it's yeah hard to describe. Mm -hmm. I can't I can't even begin to because it's I was lucky enough once to go on safari in South Africa and seeing a giraffe at that distance of things was amazing for me who has not worked and put all this extra effort in and I was just kind of sat there appreciating from a distance without the knowing all of the backstory that would have got like you the work that you would have put in must add such another level to it and yes it must just be the the best feeling in the world and one that I yes probably it isn't old, old now and I can't imagine it ever will become any less amazing um but that is yeah that's really really interesting um yeah. and overall maybe also just to add to that some days we, we we sit back and now just talking to you um makes you realize actually we're making a difference mm -hmm. normally in your day-to-day -day work you don't think about it and you get caught up on little things and annoying that you get some narky emails or that something doesn't work or just, I mean, in the end, our day-to-day -day life can be quite frustrating, obviously, as any job. Um, it can be super rewarding as well, but it's very rarely that we sit back and think about it in in terms of thinking, actually, we are making a difference. And that is, um, yeah, it's mm -hmm. quite as <laughs> yes i'm glad I've, I've helped facilitate that moment today uh, it's been the reflection of moment because yeah i think that's a lot of people i don't know whether it's just when they sit when i send a list of questions to people they sit down and think oh because it seems to happen at this point about every interview i do people go hang on are we too quiet like it's been a stressful year with covid and everything but when you sit back and look on the whole picture and with everything that's going on the work has still happened at the end of the day. It's maybe been not the way it has been imagined, but a lot of people have still been able to achieve huge, amazing, incredible things. 
and you've managed to reach Scotland, which a long way away. So <laughs> yes, there's one <laughs> one person you've got. <laughs> um, and now hopefully people will listen to this. And uh, yes, I will send it to everybody I know to kind of. Uh, yes. Well, what's really bizarre with Scotland that they actually have a giraffe that was brought in there called Fennessy mm. that was named after us. That came from Midlands in. Uh, in the it's UK. Fantasy yeah, fantasy has been brought to Scotland, is in oh. Edinburgh. So we're going to have to come up and say g'day one day. <laughs> yes, it's good. That's quite an honour, I think. Yeah, big, <laughs> big one. I suppose it's easier to go with surname because if they picked one or the other of you, then that would have been, then there would have been an issue, but they've gone with surname to me. That <laughs> no, would have been fun. <laughs> is named after him. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, that's kind of um, bringing us towards the end of the interview and the things that I, I kind of wanted to ask. I wondered, just to kind of wrap up, I guess I was going to ask, looking forward, what are the kind of things that you were most kind of looking forward to doing or kind of, but there seems to be quite a lot that needs done. Um, so it might be a quite a scary question, but what are the things you're most kind of looking forward to doing in the future? What are the big things that you're looking forward to, to doing? I suppose, how long do you have? You know? <laughs> Maybe one or two highlights, one or two. <laughs> Not like a... uh, so, I mean, there's some exciting things like, you know, the Mozambique program, that's Steph said, you know, rewilding giraffe back into a country. Firstly, with, you know, developing a national strategy, working, building capacity of the veterinarians in the country is one of the things that we're also doing. Uh, sourcing you know, founder giraffe populations in South Africa, but doing the genetic work first to make sure we're reintroducing the correct giraffe. And, you know, we're talking about, oh, you know, another more than 100 million acres of, of giraffe potential habitat in Mozambique. And, and this is really going to, you know, what's going to be the game changer for giraffe is these big landscapes going in and making a big difference while at the same time continuing doing what we're doing because, if you don't, uh, you know, do the day-to-day -day job, you know, all these exciting things don't come up and, you know, you can forget about it and soon giraffe, like many animals, go before your eyes. Yeah, but on a bit shorter scale now, it's uh, June, which is a big month for us. The 21st of June is World Giraffe Day, the longest day or the longest night here in Africa for us, um, for the tallest animals. So uh, we hope that we can get a lot of attention to, to giraffe and uh, raise awareness and maybe also a little bit of funding to continue with our work. Yes, I think that's that's the good thing. And I'll make sure to put the links because this episode will be launching. I was looking forward in the month and I had planned episodes up to World Giraffe Day. And then you, your email came in and I, I was perfect. A slot right in on World Giraffe Day. Um, which, yes. So anybody who's listening on World Giraffe Day, happy World Giraffe Day. Um, and we'll, I'll put the links down in the description so that people can go if they are feeling inspired after listening to you to go and do that. Um, is there anything else you would recommend they go and look at or is there anything else that they would recommend that they do or any sign off message for the listeners that you would want them to, to take away? Yeah, we always say, I mean, as, as you rightly pointed out, most people don't know that giraffe are in trouble. So help us share the information, talk to your friends and family and tell them that giraffe actually do need your help. Um, on our website, you can also adopt a giraffe. It's a symbolic adoption. So it's giraffe that live wild and free in northwestern Namibia, but our team monitors them regularly and writes little updates. So it's quite a nice little program for, for people to engage a little bit more. So uh, go to our website, adopt a giraffe, or um, yeah, just um, share on social yeah. media. 
lots of things. And of course, you can always donate, as we always say. You know, giraffe can only be saved in Africa by Africans, and that's our job here is to do that. So, you know, we'd love everyone to stand tall, stick their neck out for giraffe on World Giraffe Day. But, uh, you know, together, I think we can make much more of a difference. And so we really appreciate Jack for being able to do the podcast and hopefully share with your audience. So thanks a million. Thank you very much. That wraps everything up very nicely. So we will leave it there. And thank you. So, but thank you so, so much for, for your time today. Thank you very much. Excellent. Thanks, okay. mate. Really okay. appreciate it. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I am so grateful for you all. I really hope you enjoyed a little bit of a throwback, a wander down memory lane, maybe for some of you, or an entirely new experience for some others. Uh, like, thank you so much for, for tuning in. Um, if you, of course, like if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe. Uh, we've got brand new content coming all the time as we continue our celebration of the continent of Africa um, and all of the amazing conservation work that goes on across across all of the countries that are there. And it's just been fantastic so far and I'm so excited to continue it. Um, and yeah, so subscribe, 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 no matter where you're listening. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, follow us, do whatever you need to do. Maybe leave us a nice review if you're so inclined. Um, and yeah, what else can you do? Uh, you can follow us on social media. We're at Pangolin Podcast on everything. Um, and yeah, go and do all of that. We love you. Thank you so much. I love you so much. I'm so grateful for all of your continued support because who'd have thought two years since this thing was originally recorded, I'd be able to republish it now for all of you. Um, I certainly didn't. Uh, and so, yes, I just want to say how grateful I am. And yes, how amazing you all are. Go out into the world. Be wonderful. Help to save the giraffe. Stand tall for giraffe. Stick your neck out for giraffe. All of the other puns. And until next time... Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>